Welcome to the Level Playing Field podcast. I am your host, Liam Bird, and I am also the fan liaison officer at the charity Level Playing Field. In this episode of the podcast, we shift our focus towards the often misunderstood world of Tourette's. To help us gain an insight into Tourette's, its nature and how it impacts a person with Tourette's match day experience, we have the privilege of hearing from Ioni. Ioni is not only a person who has personal experience with Tourette's, but also serves as the advocacy lead for Tourette's Action, a prominent support and research charity operating in England, Wales and Northern Ireland. Joining us as well is Neve, who shares her experiences of living with Tourette's, accompanied by her mum, Vicky, who holds a position at the Staffordshire FA. Furthermore, we are joined by Brighton and Hove Albion superfan Ed, who is non-verbal. Ed uses British Sign Language BSL to communicate. Ed also has Tourette's. To ensure Ed's thoughts are accurately conveyed, his mum Liz is also on hand to interpret and speak on his behalf. So we start our conversation with me asking Ioni to explain to you, the listener, and also to myself, what actually is Tourette's. Tourette's syndrome is an inherited neurological or neurodevelopmental condition. We use the term sort of neurodevelopmental because we often see that those ticks start to arrive in early stages of development around the age of five or six. And the key features of this condition are involuntary sounds and movements that we call ticks not the little critters that bite your ankles when you go camping, but involuntary sounds and movements. And those can be kind of um, quite simple. So they might be things like blinking your eyes or raising your eyebrows or grimacing or coughing and clearing your throat. But they can also be super complicated as well. So they can be like multiple stage of movement. So lifting your arms in the air and then waving. They could be touching objects or people. They could be saying full sentences and words, even singing. Um, and everybody's ticks are different. So Tourette's kind of isn't a rare condition. It impacts 300,000 people in the UK about 1% of the international population. So there's lots of tickers out there, but there's still, I think we've got quite a long way to go until the kind of the public understanding around Tourette's is as as high as the prevalence of Tourette's. Neve, if you, if you don't mind, could you please share with the listeners about your experience with Tourette's and how it affects your daily life? I developed ticks when I was 14, so like three years ago. I got diagnosed with Tourette's syndrome last year, like officially diagnosed. How did it feel to be diagnosed? I think it was like a relief because I've had a few misdiagnoses. Um, I was diagnosed with FND, but that turned out to be a misdiagnosis. Sorry, Neve, can you um, just tell us what FND is, please? FND is functional neurological disorder. It's like where the brain and the nervous system don't really work like in coherence with each other properly. So a lot of my symptoms did line up with FND, but I've actually got something called PANDAS, as well as the Tourette's syndrome. But getting the Tourette's diagnosis, I think it was like a relief because it was like an explanation for what was happening. Ed, kind of the same question to you, please. Could you please tell the listeners about your experience of, with, with Tourette's and how it might affect your match day when you go and watch Brighton? I am I've had ticks for as long as I can remember. 
I have physical ticks and some vocal ticks as well. But they do change a bit over time. I have no control over them, though. At all. Has there been a situation whereabouts you've been made hyper aware of your, your Tourette's when you go and watch football? It's hard for me on a match day because when I'm out, people keep looking at me and staring at me. They met me. I'm it makes me uncomfortable. So, anxiety makes it worse, and the more anxious I get, the more ticks I have, and then that makes it worse. Ed, I think you 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 put that really well. That that when you tick more and, and people look at you more and focus on you more, that it makes you feel more stressed and anxious and then makes you tick more. And I think that's a bit of the, the nature of the beast with ticks and Tourette's, um, the things you really don't want to do and say and the times that you really don't want to draw attention to yourself, you, you your, your, your ticks step in and kind of do the opposite. Unlike Ed, I have a little bit of control over some of my ticks. I can do what we call suppressing. So holding in that uncomfortable physical feeling for a little bit of time to stop my ticks coming out for a while. But in, in a space like a, a sports event, I would find it really difficult to suppress. And that's because there's lots going on and there's loads of excitement and there's loads of noise and I'm feeling full of energy and there's lots of people around me that would make me anxious to offend or upset with my ticks. And again, kind of the nature of ticks means that um, that kind of fuels the fire. So sports matches are a bit of, I think, a unique challenge uh, for lots of people with ticks and Tourette's. But I guess there's lots of other settings that have the same challenges, busy, exciting spaces with lots of new faces. I think we find when we're at an event with Neve, whether it's football or sometimes we go to golfing, golfing events, Neve becomes very aware, don't you, that who you're around and it's almost like the moment she starts with one tick and it gets a bit of a reaction that tick just won't go away and it keeps coming and coming and coming so we often have to go and have a few minutes in a toilet somewhere or somewhere just a bit quiet away from people because as much as you try and blend in with the crowd you just don't you'll you know Neve will always stand out and whilst it's lovely having some people around that are very supportive you will have some people that want to pass judgment and give their opinion on Neve's condition. And it's, you know, that doesn't help. That then makes me more anxious. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Neve's mum, can you just introduce yourself? Hello. Because that's a new voice that people are going to hear. I'm Vicky. Um, I'm, I'm Vicky, I'm Neve's mum, and I work uh, for Staffordshire Football Association. Um, so, Ione, <laughs> something that happens several times in a season is a minute silence. And it's something that I can only assume can be a nightmare for someone who has involuntary ticks. I mean, what provisions can be made to ease a supporter with possible verbal ticks? Oh, it's a great question, Liam. And I mean, even you saying the word one minute silence makes me feel anxious and, and slightly stressed. And it's it's really, it's a really difficult one. I mean, I, I have very vivid memories from being back in school and in later years where I've literally 
spit in through my lip in an attempt to stay quiet in a minute silence so as to not kind of be disrespectful or to be perceived as being disrespectful because I guess that's the challenge isn't it the idea of a minute silence is about paying respect to people often and kind of remembering and honoring people but in doing that we can actually really isolate and alienate loads of people who can't access that that moment I think something really practical that we can do is if you are observing the minute silence give people warning so at 12 o'clock we will be observing a one minute silence if you cannot access this then please feel free to take a break kind of thing please remember not everyone is able to observe a minutes of silence for many different reasons not only Tourette's um so kind of try try and give that verbal reminder to people to be kind of patient and inclusive some people might want to just simply escape if I was told that I had to participate in a minute silence I would take myself away I don't want to have to suffer for a minute in silence and and risk upsetting somebody um or really struggling it could probably have quite a big impact on how able I was managed to manage the rest of the game as well. I think if I'd used that much kind of stress and tension in that first minute to hold it all in. Um, uh, But some people don't kind of want their conditions to be outed essentially. So some people will say, we actually have some some supporters here today who have Tourette's syndrome and that means that it's really difficult for them to stay quiet. And that is a great adjustment if people choose that. But lots of people feel that they shouldn't have to kind of be outed to essentially upwards of thousands of people sometimes so people don't raise their eyebrows or get slightly confused. So it's it's a really individual thing. But having exits and a space for people to leave, giving people that warning and kind of bit giving a bit of a, a disclaimer to everyone to to be slightly more patient and empathetic. I think sometimes a minute's applause can also be as effective um, it still gets the you know it still gets the message across that you're respecting someone or a situation, but it takes away that silent moment. So people can just be comfortable picking if they you know ticking if they have to tick. It's so that's another option, I guess. Um, Ed and Liz. Yeah, that's what Ed was was going to say as well about a minute's applause. Hey, hey, hey. Being silent for me is really hard as well. If there was a minute silence, I'd have to ask the steward if I could go out because I wouldn't be able to be there. What what position do club staff and and stadium staff have regarding helping a person with Tourette's Ione? Like how much training do you know goes into to, to supporting uh, club staff to try and create a, an inclusive environment for people with Tourette's? And also a follow-up to that, do you think it's spoken enough about um, when when we're talking about disability training in sport? Two really good points there. Um, absolutely. I mean, sadly, we have in in my career as a, a trainer on Tits and Tourette's working for Tourette's Action UK, we have had no requests from sports services or kind of organisations to run training. So we've obviously been really fortunate to work with you, Liam, at, at level playing field and to run some kind of internal sessions. Um, but we haven't yet been asked by some of the the kind of well at any size or scale sports venues um which i think indicates how far we have to come 
with Tourette's awareness. So um, lots of international kind of lots of national organisations are maybe recognised as dementia friendly spaces. They might honour the Sunflower Lanyard Scheme. They might have had training on autism. But Tourette's isn't kind of up there yet. Um, It hasn't got that status yet. And so it maybe hasn't got that interest. But when we think of spaces like um, sports events, and the nature of Tourette's, it feels like we really need to be discussing this. It can be such a tick trigger, can be such a essentially sometimes dangerous and risky space for people to access if there isn't the right support and understanding out there. And that support first starts with staff and stewards, people on the ground, on the floor, the amount of events, whether that is a sport event or a music event or a theatre event that I've been to and I've had a member of staff standing near me because obviously people have complained or started to say something and I'm really aware of that and it doesn't feel like I'm being supported. It feels like I'm being observed and judged as to whether I need to be removed or not. And actually, if you know what Tourette's is, if you're trained and upskilled to recognise it, you'll really quickly be able to spot it and then you'll be able to manage other people's concerns really effectively, but you'll also be able to support people accessing that sport event with empathy and with patience and with curiosity and compassion. And essentially they're all the things that people living with Tourette's need to feel safe. Um, so if you run a sports event company service and you want training, get in touch with Tourette's Action because uh, that's, that's I guess, the first step in us breaking down barriers to people really, really enjoying live sport safely. And we'll put a link in the episode description of people and, and how they can find uh, Tourette's Action and, of course, Ioni. Um Vicky, I'm kind of interested to know at grassroots level, the the FA do some fantastic work across the country at grassroots level, but uh, like, where where does Tourette's play into this? Are, is there training going on to make uh, attending grassroots football more inclusive for anyone with Tourette's to go and watch? I think every county um, is trying to address it. Certainly in Staffordshire, Neve is doing some training in September and October with our referees so that they are more aware and they can support a player with Tourette's or support spectators with Tourette's because obviously anyone with Tourette's has a very specific way to how they want support. So you might get one player that wants people to know that they've got Tourette's. You might get another person with Tourette's that doesn't want anybody to know. So, so Neve, you're doing some training, aren't you, with the referees associations? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think in grassroots in general, I mean, the experience that we've had when we've gone to games. I think it's been like really positive. Yeah, I, I guess we've we've always made a point of speaking to um, the manager of the team or the chairman of the club that we're going to so that they're aware. And they've always been very accommodating. So they've often sat us with them. And then you've got that element of sort of safety and security, I suppose. When you go down, you stand with the spectators. It can be a little bit of a different environment. But certainly as far as football goes, I don't think you've had a bad experience, have you, at grassroots no. football? But counties have still got a way to go yet as far as educating referees, clubs, um, managers, you know, as to how to support a player if they've got a player with Tourette's. Sorry, there's an ice cream van in the background. <laughs> Um, there's still a long way to go, but we're certainly making good strides. I think every county FA recognises that they need to 
really support really support players or anybody that wants to enjoy football at grassroots level but has got Tourette syndrome. Ed, I'm interested to know from you, what advice would you give to any any supporter who's listening to this to to assist you on your match day? I Get hold of a um, hidden disability wristband, which is what they have um, where uh, Ed attends his football ground. And... um, It tells the stewards if I have it on, doesn't make me feel 100% safe, but it makes me feel less anxious. If I don't have it on, I might have a meltdown. It's a really great point, Ed, and the the value of of invisibly invisible disability markers is really really great. You know, using the sunflower lanyard can be great, and it's recognised across the board these days. I know some people use um, kind of extra things alongside that, so you can get Tourette's awareness wristbands from Tourette's Action that are kind of bright green. They really draw attention. You can have an I have. Uh, Tourette's badge we also have these ID cards that are kind of explain you have to have an official diagnosis to get one it's got your picture explains what Tourette's is and they come alongside these sort of business cards and essentially it's it's a few sentences explaining what Tourette's is and it can be a way that you can give that out and essentially run away without without being too dramatic about things you don't have to continually try and explain yourself and if you're feeling anxious and you're feeling ticky the idea of trying to explain to someone what's going on is like a, a nightmare, really. So if you can use something that takes that away, that can be really, really helpful. Um, something that people can see. Some people wear their Tourette's Action T-shirts to these kind of events. So that's really saying literally on my chest, this is my need. I do think it's a shame that we're in a society and a system that people have to literally wear something that shows the world that they have a a difference or a disability in order to be treated with compassion and patience however it's kind of where we're at at the moment and it's it it works um but it's it's hard for some people sometimes i'd find it frustrating that i have to do that in order to be treated with compassion or to reduce the risk of someone becoming upset or offended or challenging me about a tick Anyone who wants to wear an identifier, these are all personal choices. They, they, they should never be mandated by anyone. And, and they are the person uh, with the disability deciding that, yes, I'm quite happy uh, to show this. But yeah, unfortunately, you are right there. I, 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 identifiers, we would rather we didn't have to have them, but obviously they're a useful tool to, to, to have. Um, Neve, I'm interested to know, can you discuss any kind of misconceptions or misunderstandings about your Tourette's and, and how you've handled them when, when maybe been challenged? Before I answer that, I just wanted to add something about like the lanyards. Yep. So I wear a sunflower lanyard pretty much whenever I go out in public. And I feel like, I don't know, it's kind of a comfort blanket. Like even if my tics aren't bad when I leave the house... If I forget my lanyard, I'm immediately like way more anxious just because I don't have it on me and I just like having it on me. 
But then I also think because of lockdown and COVID, quite a few people, a big misconception about the Sunflower Lanyard Scheme is that it's like a mask exemption lanyard. Because of lockdown, a lot of people used it as like a mask exemption lanyard. So people don't actually know the true meaning behind what it is. I know especially when masks weren't mandatory anymore, me and a few of my friends who wear Sunflower Lanyards... We were still wearing them and, you know, we had even shop workers saying you don't need to wear those anymore because masks aren't mandatory. Like even the shop workers thought like it was a mask exemption lanyard and it's not. So so how do you think we as an organisation level playing field, but also sport in general, can kind of educate people about what actually the lanyards are for? I think one thing that pro clubs could do is advertise the fact that they have the sunflower lanyards because I know within Staffordshire, you know, we've got Port Vale, we've got Stoke City. They have them available so that supporters that go to the game, if, you know, if they forget a lanyard, and we've had it before a few times. We've, had to go out, to like, we've had to go to Tesco yeah. or we've had to go somewhere that we know have them. And I know, I know the, the clubs in Staffordshire do advertise it, but it'd be really good if pro clubs on their websites can make it very clear that they've got sunflower lanyards and then explain what they're about. Mm-hmm. Because it's a great opportunity to get the word out there that, you know, there's the support for people with hidden disabilities and they don't need to feel anxious. Ultimately, they've spent a lot of money to go and watch this game. They want to go and enjoy the afternoon. But having that lanyard or having anything that shows that they've got a hidden disability and just need that extra bit of support can be the difference between a great sporting experience, experience and an awful one that puts them off ever going to a game again. So I think the pro clubs could, be, could really jump on this and really advertise the fact that they're supporting anyone with a hidden disability. I, I suppose an I, and the question back to you then is, yourself, you also have an identifier. Is there too many identifiers in live sport at the moment? Because I know several clubs who have personalised club-branded identifier, but there is this sunflower lanyard that's already out there that people recognise. So are we confusing the public regarding what these kind of lanyards or pin badges or wristbands are? I mean, it's it's a really good point, isn't it? It's beautiful that there's an increase in these identifiers and these markers. Um, but I do think that the Sunflower Lanyard Scheme are doing it doing it pretty well. They're well established. They're across all supermarkets. Airports do it marvellously. And what airports do really well is is having lots of posters around and stickers everywhere saying, we are taking part in the Sunflower Scheme. This is what it means. Um, and that's really, really helpful because it's not only about staff knowing what, what that means, but it's about other patrons knowing what that means. Um, I think certain disability specific markers can be really helpful. So a, a big wristband that says Tourette's, Tourette's, Tourette's on it is exactly what it says in the tin, you know, and actually that that tells someone what they're looking out for. But I think to standardise it is probably pretty great. It means that people can have one item. They don't have to go and queue for a, a, a team specific wristband at the beginning of an event, which is already a barrier. We're just saying this exists, it's free, it's available. You've probably already got one if this is your experience and we honour that. Um, And it makes it easier for other people to spot. I was out with a teacher the other day and I had my sunflower lanyard on and uh, I I live in Wales and she thought it was a a Welsh speaking lanyard. So they have one with daffodils that indicates you speak Welsh. And uh, I was like, I definitely, definitely don't speak Welsh, but it's just one example of how, you know, there's so many different kind of, yeah, things out there that they can definitely get confused. 
Ed, did you want to jump in? I think wearing my sunflower lanyard really helps massively. If I'm out and about. I don't have my sunflower lanyard on me. I get really, really anxious. If it's on me, I'm still anxious, but not massively. Just coming back, Ione, uh, sorry, uh, Neve, to, to, to that kind of misconception or misunderstanding, have you encountered that and how, how, and how do you uh, deal with that kind of situation? I've definitely encountered like misconceptions, so people not really understanding that Tourette's is more than just swearing. I think that a lot of people, if you say Tourette's syndrome, they'll just think of the swearing disease, I think that is a big misconception. So that's sort of the main one, I think, for me. But I was also going to say with the sunflower lanyard scheme, obviously sunflower lanyards uh, mean hidden disabilities. So it's quite vague. You know, you don't, if you looked at someone with a sunflower lanyard on, if you looked at 10 people with sunflower lanyards on, none of them will be wearing them for the same exact reason. But what I think is really good is obviously at the end of the lanyard, you can attach like a a card or something onto the end. So I think that's good. So you got obviously the sunflower lanyard, which is the hidden disabilities. And then like at the end, a, a card that says like Tourette's in big writing or hearing impairment, um, visual impairment, like whatever you have yourself, it's sort of, the sunflower lanyard is well known for being hidden disabilities, but then, but then you can make it your own by adding your whatever you want onto the end. And then I was just going to say about it was only a few months after I sort of first developed ticks, I was actually filmed by these two men, like really near my house. I was going for a walk with my friend at the time, and we were in this sort of field, foresty type area. I was ticking. Quite quite badly, um, my coprolalia, which is the swearing tick. That was really bad. Um, and these men just were getting, like, different angles of me ticking, like, filming me. So I phoned mum and you came out with my, like, Tourette's action cards, which it has, like, a bit of information about Tourette's syndrome on it and made, I think it has a link for Tourette's action website, which obviously you can learn more about it on. We had to call the police in the end for that because it was, you know, ultimately Neve's still a child. She was a child. Oh, yeah, then. I was 15 um, at that point. And they just wouldn't stop filming her, you know, and we tried to explain to them that it, it's a medical condition. She's not saying the word by choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kept saying that it was offending them. Um, and had she learnt the language from me, from, yeah. you know, from her mom? I was like, no, it's, it's you know, it's really hard sometimes doesn't matter how much you try and educate someone, they just won't listen, you know. We'd, whenever we go out, generally we've always got transaction cards so that if we need to, we can just hand it over because there is a misconception, especially with children that think, I think, that you've learned it from your parents, you know, this must be common language at home. Well, no, it's not. It absolutely isn't. Mm. Um, but, as you know, as a parent, 
you'll do anything you can to protect your child and you know you you just want you want your child to just have a normal life and not have people staring at them i only to kind of touch on that are there any particular um suggestions or guidance uh, when misunderstandings may arise i mean particularly when someone might have a, a an obscene vocal tick what what advice can you give to anyone when that situation arises for the person with Tourette's and also the person who is in the vicinity and hearing maybe an obscene uh, tick it's, it's such a tricky one and, and Neve, I just want to say I'm so sorry that you had that experience and I'm sorry that you know you're one of one of many people in the Tourette's community who report similar experiences um, and I think that just indicates how far we've got we've got to go in kind of educating people I also understand that coprolalia ticks so like Neve explained coprolalia is the the clinical term for kind of verbal utterances of, of insulting or offensive language and it also includes copapraxia which is kind of physical gestures that are insulting so kind of giving the middle finger etc and these ticks impact the minority of people with Tourette's so around 15 to 20 percent of people with Tourette's but it makes up for essentially everything that we see in the media and on our tv screens and of course it's probably one of the trickiest types of tick to manage. It's the ticks that have the biggest social consequences that get people in the most trouble, that stop people doing the things that they want and need to do. Um, when you kind of think of a, a sports uh, arena and all of the different people there and the range of kind of cultural diversity and all of these different kind of potential triggers, then it can be quite an anxiety-provoking space for people with ticks and Tourette's. So, I mean, number one, initially having those visible markers of an invisible disability is really helpful and having the handout cards that you can kind of give and then step away. Because I think that often the, the difficulty is that you can start to become engaged in a bit of a back and forth. You're trying to justify and explain where these sounds, words or movements came from. And if someone isn't if someone has been really personally upset, triggered or offended, we kind of, as human beings, and this is completely natural, we stop listening and we shut down and we don't really hear what the other person's saying because we feel really hurt. And sometimes coprolalia tits can be really hurtful and they can feel really targeted and personal. They're not. <laughs> they're not what the person's thinking or feeling. It's probably the opposite of what they're thinking and feeling. But so we know that when someone's upset and offended, they can stop listening. And I think firstly, kind of what I'd say is if that's really going on and you feel like you're entering into a battle, step back, ask a staff member for support or help, ask someone else for support and help kind of get out of that interaction. It's only going to increase your ticks. And as a result, you're going to probably increase some of the things that have upset or offended someone. I think that having a, a person with you is so, so important. So having you kind of someone alongside you in all and any interactions can really help when you're having lots of ticks, especially ticks that may be insulting or offensive to others. Um, it can be really hard to step back and explain what's going on. So having a safe person, whether that's your mum, whether that's your carer, whether that's your best friend, can be really, really supportive. And like theatre venues and music venues are getting great at these carers go free schemes and having someone alongside somebody because it's not always that actually my mum really wants to come and watch this sports game with me. It's that my mum knows that I really need support at this sports game, okay? And she needs to access it with me so I can feel safe to do it. And the, the kind of what can be really helpful is having a carer goes free. So someone always has that human protection of someone else around them. Um who can help to explain where they can't explain. Um, again, making sure that you've informed the, the staff team or the stewards 
before you've gone. So if these kind of conflicts arise, that you can kind of have that backup, you know, this is real and um, I've shared this information beforehand and this is kind of what happens. Some people almost have a catchphrase sentence that they'll use. So it saves them having to think in action. Oh my goodness, how do I manage this situation? It can be like, my name is John. I have Tourette's. This means I sometimes say words and movements that I don't mean. It's not what I'm thinking and feeling. If you feel offended, I'm very sorry. I don't mean to do it. And kind of what we're saying here is you don't apologize for having Tourette's in the same way that if you're a wheelchair user and you hit someone with your leg plate, you know, your foot plate, you'd apologize for hitting them, but you wouldn't apologize for being in the wheelchair. So if I, you know, if I really upset or offend someone, I might say, I'm really sorry that that offended or upset you. It's the nature of my condition. This is what, this is what happens. I'm not apologizing for being me, but I am sorry if it had a negative impact on, on your day, um, essentially. Education is obviously a massive part of, of what we're talking about and trying to make it a more inclusive environment. And I'm interested to know from, from you, Ione, the number of people who have autism and people who have Tourette's is very similar, particularly when we're looking at children. However, when we're talking about neurodiverse disabilities and attending life sport, there is a lot of attention towards autism and not very much towards Tourette's. Why do you think that is? Uh, I think sadly, it's not kind of only in live sports, it's sort of across the board. So in our healthcare systems, we know that mo you know, most healthcare practitioners are pretty upskilled and informed on autism in a way that they're not on Tourette's. In our schools, people are more upskilled and informed about autism than ticks and Tourette's. Um, and... Uh, Essentially, kind of across the board, Tourette's has got a long way to go. Um, research into autism outweighs research into Tourette's by about 50 to 1. So simply the information, the data is out there. It's a, it's a kind of more relevant and hot topic. Um, and it's really prevalent in our society. I think as we move forward, I hope that that bridge that kind of close the gap a little bit more. Um, because like you said, the prevalence is, is at absolutely there and recently we've had some really big public figures kind of come out and share their experience of ticks and Tourette's and I hope that often off the back of that the, the positive consequence is that we increase this kind of people start to talk about it it's been in the news more recently which is wonderful that's how we can start to spot it um, the, the number of people that come into contact uh, with kind of they start to learn about Tourette's and then they might say to us, actually, I'm pretty sure that I've got Tourette's, but it's just not the Tourette's that I thought was Tourette's. And so I didn't even spot it. So, so I think that the lack of understanding and all the misunderstandings uh, about Tourette's has stopped us kind of talking about it and focusing on it as much. I'm hoping it's increasing in popularity and interest and that people will start to be more interested in this condition because it's really, really complex and it's really, really common and it has such a big impact on kind of well-being and function that um, the only way we can make real lasting change is by, is by talking about these things at all levels. I'm going to go around the board now with my last question and I'll start with you, Ed. What advice or strategies would you give to a person with Tourette's who's thinking about attending live sport for the first time? I am... I would tell them to choose appropriate seats. To an aisle, so you can move if it, if it's necessary. Thank you, Ed. I'll come to you next, Neve. Um, so I know everyone's sort of trigger for their ticks getting worse is different, but a big one for me is like if it's really noisy or if I get overwhelmed, then 
my ticks are really likely to get worse. So if you have like earplugs, um, uh, you know, whether it's just the foam ones or like a branded one that like actually dims sound out or whether you have like noise cancelling headphones, whatever sort of works best for the person, but that can make things a lot less overwhelming. So then my ticks would be less likely to get worse. <laughs> Thank you, Neve. And finally, Ioni. Oh, absolutely. Well, I think Ed and Neve got the two the two top supports there. End of aisle seats are really important and and those ear defenders. I know any kind of sensory adjustment can be really helpful. So some some kind of teams already do this really well, but offering kind of rentable or loanable sensory kits with ear defenders, fidgets and distractions. A personal top tip as a Tourette fidget user is sometimes you can get ones with tiny wrist straps on, which can be really helpful because I have used fidget items in uh, sports matches before and got overexcited and then thrown them at people and it's counterproductive. So sometimes you literally need to strap it on with you before you can actually enjoy it, but they can be really helpful. Something to keep your brain and your body busy if you're feeling anxious and overwhelmed and informing the, the team beforehand, sending that via an email. Ideally, there's a bit of a record for it. So if it, anything does go really wrong and you kind of want to go back to them and say oh, I had this experience and how can we do it better next time you've got a record of that um, and maybe arriving a little bit earlier or a little bit later than the main crowd and hustle bustle because that getting in can be really intense and by the time you've even found your seat you might be so overwhelmed and ticky that the game is secondary you know you can't even focus on that perfect liz ed neve vicky and irony thank you so much for giving up your time uh, there will be links in the episode description on how you can find more information regarding tourette's action I, I think this has been a fascinating discussion and um, we'll, we'll continue doing the work with Tourette's Action to, to try and educate and put it more in the spotlight regarding people attending live sport. Thank you to my guests for taking part in this episode. We'll be back soon enough with another episode looking at disability and sport. If you'd like to know more about the work that we do at Level Playing Field, please head on over to levelplayingfield.org.uk or if you just want to drop us an email, you can do that, info at levelplayingfield.org.uk or you can follow us across social media. Just search Level Playing Field. Don't forget, please share this episode and past episodes with your friends and family and it really does help go and rate and review on whatever podcast platform you happen to use if you're going to a sporting event please enjoy and don't forget to leave your match day feedback all the best bye bye